This is the Let's Go Win Podcast with your host, J.M. Ryerson. Hey, hey, what's happening, you guys? Welcome back to the Let's Go Win Podcast. I have a fun episode today. I don't know a lot about what he's talking about, but we are going to learn quite a bit. Louis LaCarbonara, owner of Direct Kicks and Pokey Steels. Direct Kicks is a premier sneaker boutique in Mamarenic, New York, <laughs> and another location coming to Westchester Mall in White Plains. Direct Kicks specializes in the buying, selling, and trading of Air Jordans, Yeezys, and other specialty footwear. Pokey Steals is an online membership program that makes it easier for the average Pokemon enthusiast to purchase Pokemon product. With hundreds of members and only starting in February, Pokey Steals has quickly grown to be the premier place to purchase Pokemon. Lewis, what's up, man? How you doing? What's going on? Thank you for having me, first of all. I'm excited. I look forward to this, uh, I guess, all week pretty much. And I'm excited to kind of teach you a little bit more about not just, you know, just the streetwear culture between shoes and everything, but how everything kind of transpired with Pokemon and, you know, the hot market it's in right now. Um, I think you're gonna learn a lot, and you're gonna your mind's gonna get blown a little bit. Just everything, you know. I'm based on the little. Uh, so he was talking to my son outside for a little bit, and there is a lot of money in what he's talking about. So let's just go ahead and put that out there. But let's get into the kicks because you started there, right? You got right so, in. Yeah. So I started. I mean, last weekend was ten years of me first going to um, college, Oklahoma State University, and so when I look back at it within the last ten years, I mean, it's a crazy story. It's kind of just looking back at my life, it's like, how the hell did I get into this? Um, I mean, I went to Oklahoma State University for entrepreneurship. I really just, I was in the pizza business all my life. I really went out there. I wanted to be an entrepreneur. I wanted to open a pizzeria in Stillwater, Oklahoma. I was going to marry a farmer girl and live happily ever after. That was that was my story. That was going to be my, my life plan. Um, and then, I don't know, it just, I remember going into my junior year. I needed, you know, some money and I was on YouTube scrolling. I saw like a 10 year old selling shoes and he was buying these so-called like beater boxes uh, from the store in California. And I was like, okay, I can sell pizza. I says, shoes can't be that hard. And I was like, I had no knowledge of Jordans or Yeezys or anything at that time. I mean, I'd, I wore Pumas in high school with a track shoe. I was, I was a typical like Italian kid. You know, I, I didn't really care about Jordans. So, you know, a lot of my friends did, but it just wasn't for me. But I figured if I could sell slices of pizza all my life, it's, it can't be too hard to push, you know, Jordan. So um, going into my junior year, I kind of just put a thousand dollars up front, kind of took a risk and made sure I bought my size just in case if this failed, I would have, you know, fire collection and just casually sold stuff and just kept growing, growing where I was making a couple hundred dollars a week to be able to go with, you know, out with the boys to the bars and stuff, go to football games, just, you know, just get plastered and everything. But, um, I started making enough money was like, okay, this is something I could you know, do throughout college and, you know, just to kind of live and actually have food and, you know, be able to eat, go out and do, you know, live life like a college kid. So it was good in the beginning. And then I finally realized, okay, this is something I bigger. I could be something bigger in the school um, was very, you know, hands on with me. And they wanted me to, you know, they helped me look at this as actual business versus just an idea or just a little side hustle. Well, so clearly New York either drew you back in or Stillwater wasn't a big enough market. And there's got to be an interesting story for a kid to go from New York to say, Oklahoma, man, that's my spot. So, yeah. So I was a diehard Syracuse like fan, right? Syracuse was my dream school growing up. I love the color orange. So just as you can see, orange has basically been in my blood. My high school was orange. Syracuse is orange. Oklahoma State happened to be orange. And then my Maronick now where I'm at is also orange. So it just kind of, you know, all comes together a little bit. But 
I mean, going to Oklahoma is one of those things where I wanted to be something different. I wanted something. I wanted to go to a place where no one, you know, in White Plains, New York is going to. I didn't want to go to the SUNY schools. I didn't want to. I didn't want to be the normal kid in college. You know, I want to do something different. And it helped out a little bit, too. We have um, a family friend, Scott Brooks, who at the time was coaching the Oklahoma City Thunder. Um, and he kind of suggested Oklahoma State because they had a good entrepreneurship program. And we're like, oh, yeah, we'll just add it to the list. Added number 10 for my top 10 uh, colleges. And Oklahoma State was actually the first school to accept me. And it always you know, has a, a good place in my heart when you know I got to college first through them. And then when we visited Stillwater, I fell in love. I said, this is it. This is where I'm going to go. Uh, we had Scotty out there who was able to be that family member. God forbid anything happened. And I, I don't regret my decision. I love it. I miss it every single day. Like you're saying, like the fact that I came back to New York, it was a hard decision. It was one of those where I had it made out there. I was my senior year. The school gave me my own office. I was in an incubator where I was the only undergrad actually making money. Um, I was speaking to boosters, alumni. I was showing off what the school had to offer. Uh, and a lot of people, a lot of you know, undergrads and all that looked at me as the model entrepreneur. And it really came down to me just wanting to open a sneaker store in New York. I wanted to take that next level. And at the time, Oklahoma, the sneaker scene and everything wasn't where it is today. Mm. I think I was before the time. I was They had, they had sneaker shows. They, they started popping up a little bit. But it really wasn't mainstream where I could stay out there and really be comfortable. You know what I mean? I missed family. I missed home-cooked meals and everything. I missed being, you know, being Italian because in Oklahoma – Listen, I only met two or three, two or three Italians, and every New Yorker I met was basically from Buffalo. And that's we all know that's you know Canada at that point. So it was a little hard, but um, I did make the hard decision to come back home. And then in 2016, I graduated 2015 in May, and then 2016 October we opened in Mariner. So it was, I guess, for the best. But I always, you know, think about it. Had I stayed in Oklahoma and opened in Oklahoma City, I who know I might be retired by now. I always tell people, but. You never know. I get pitched a lot of times, come to Oklahoma, come here, do this. And I tell a lot of people that, you know, I've known through the sneaker scene out there who have stores all over Oklahoma. I says, if anytime you want to go in Oklahoma City, I got the money to put up. I'm just looking for the right team. So who knows? You know, life is still short. You know, hey, brother, short, you are young. young you know? Yeah, man. You could be there tomorrow. You yeah. know, you just never know. But talk to me about this. So I'm like you. I didn't. I, I grew up in Montana. Sneakers wasn't for me anyway. A, I didn't have the money. But B, yeah. I guess I didn't have the style. I probably still don't. What is it about trading and, uh, you know, Jordans I get because, I mean, that it's become such an iconic yeah. brand. And then obviously Yeezys, I mean, you're going to probably blow me away with the cost of some of these shoes is my guess. Yeah. But they're sneakers. So. Uh, just talk to me about this. It, it's it's a culture, I'm guessing, so, of people that yeah. So the whole sneaker and streetwear culture, it's huge. It's it's a the resale industry itself is a billion dollar industry, and it's wow. it keeps growing every single day. And and you know now versus years ago when I first started, I first started what eight almost nine years ago, and at that time it was just strictly Jordans, Jordan, Jordans, mm. you know. But it was also a time where there weren't it was frowned upon if you were a reseller. You know what I mean? So if you were selling shoes, if you were buying them from stores and reselling them after for a higher cost, you were frowned upon a little bit. But now reselling in general is just everyone's doing it. There's so much money in it. I see 10-year-olds making more money than some 30-year-olds doing the same exact thing between, you know, people doing sneaker botting and, and you know, there's no more lines and stuff, but just backdooring pairs from, you know, you know, foot lockers and whatnot. It is crazy. But for me, I've always focused on the pre-owned market. When I first got into it, 
I saw the opportunity, you know, they had all the big stores, all the consignment shops around, around the country. You had the flight clubs, you had not stadium goods yet. You had, you know, Riff LA, you only had a few big time stores and you didn't have as many mom and pop stores like maybe I am today. So everyone did brand new because you can consign at these stores and you can go to sneaker shows. But then I saw the opportunity and said, okay, you know, the average kid wants to buy a shoe or the mom and dad want to buy it for the kid. They don't want to pay three, four, five hundred dollars for a brand new pair. Let me focus on the pre-owned market. And, you know, just to go into that as well, I focus more on the really used market. I wanted to get beaters. I wanted to get shoes where I had to put, you know, my heart and soul into it because I can get them for 30, 40 bucks, spend an hour, clean them up and then sell them for 150, 200. So I went for the really used shoes because no one was doing it at the time. And I don't want to say I'm the first person to do that. But I was one of the first people that would actively buy through Instagram beaters and more used shoes. You know, it was easy to find lightly worn, brand new, everyone's selling that. But when it comes to beaters, when someone's able to get 30, 40 bucks for a shoe they already dogged down, they're going to take it. And so by going to these early sneaker shows too, you know, whether it's in Oklahoma or Dallas, Texas, or even the ones in New York that I went to, it was so easy to because, you know, to find these shoes because no one was really buying that stuff. And so I built direct kicks solely off of that. So people would, you know, and, and, you know, I always gave my number out early, you know, early in the days of buying stuff. I would say, text me at, this is my number. Let me know what you have, a size, condition, price, and we work something out. Versus a lot of these other Instagram people or stores, you have to email them. And people don't like to email. And so me being, you know, personal with them and actually listen, like trying to get to know them, I built a lot of good clients that every week they would, you know, send me a list. This is the six pairs this week. And, you know, back then as well, I did, um, I didn't just put stuff online right away. I would build it up as hype. So every two weeks I would do a drop or every week I would do a big drop. This is the steals that are dropping. And I would just get hundreds and hundreds of people at 7 p.m. on a Thursday or 7 p.m. on a Sunday, just flooding the website. And it was like first come, first serve. And, you know, the best thing was when people didn't get the shoe they wanted, they always came back and got something the following week. And so I built a hype that way and I built up, you know, direct kicks through that where people knew what I had. They knew the product I had. They knew I had the best prices, too. And but if you look at it compared to now, the market's changed. It's, it's impossible to get some of the steals I was able to get back then because you have other you know, platforms to be able to sell. stuff. you have StockX, Go. It's so easy for the average person to get into it now. And it's, it's made it harder for us, too. We've you know, we've taken our hits. There's been times where we're like. Yo, me and my team, we think about it, wow, we're struggling this week. We just haven't been able to sell as much. We have to reinvent the wheel a little bit. Okay, we are so used to pricing things one way, we have to price it a different way. And so the market in general is just, it's it's always changing. And as much as I miss the old times because I was making a lot more money, it was easier to sell stuff, there's a lot more money into it now. And I know if it, things are done the right way, it can make even more money, so... I have so many questions, but let's start with just, okay, I'm sitting looking at my closet right now and not saying I have what you need, unless you need size 15 or 16. I got I'm a, a few. I'm a 13, so I'm with you. I got a big Yeah, So, but you're cleaning these things up. Are we talking like resole, clean them up? I mean. So there's a lot to it, right? So a lot of the older shoes, right? You don't see like, you know, cleaning up shoes and restoring shoes now doesn't make sense because. Nike and Jordan are always re-retroing stuff now, right? There's always the fear that, okay, next year is going to something else. So I just found out an Oreo 5, which I think, a Jordan 5 Oreo, which I think came out in 2015. They're re-retroing it in two weeks. That's a six-year gap. And that's not a shoe they should re-retro. You know, they did a a Lightning 4 a couple weeks ago that first came out in 2006. And that's a classic shoe. That brand new, that shoe you can't find. You know, now everyone's got Lightning 4s. 
So it's it's not the you know the clean stuff up now is not you know really worth it. But when I first started, I was repainting shoes, the midsole of Jordan threes. I was you know I would go to class and I would take like a, a shoe that had yellow soles, like piss yellow soles. I would have like special sauce to put on it. It was like this whatever website I got it from. They would make this sauce, and the sun would it was like chemical reaction. And it would like, you know, make it clear. Yeah. I would have to get water bottles frozen, put it inside the shoe so it doesn't like the glue doesn't come across, it come apart. And I would go into class and I would put it in the back of my, because you know, I had my car out there in Oklahoma. I would put it in the back seat, like the backpack where the rear view mirror is. I would let it sit there, go to class for an hour. And I would come back and people would be around my car wondering like, if I'm cooking meth or something. <laughs> it, it, like, because you, you had to put saran wrap over, you had to see this white like substance. It was, like the police would be like looking like what's going on and I would come back and just put them back in my car I was like oh yellow no more and so I was doing stuff like that I was you know painting just deep cleans again the brush and just scrubbing everything you know I didn't really care too much about the laces because I was just you know the laces it's always tough to clean that it takes a couple of days I would just get the shoe itself clean and if I couldn't get it clean I would just sell it as is you know I would still make something because I got it for such a good price but a lot of these shoes you know years ago I would literally do everything to make it you know as as new as possible. Wow. It's fascinating. It's amazing how resourceful you are yeah. just because you're kind of creating something. It sounds yeah, like exactly, yeah. that didn't really exist. So what is it? Just complete supply and demand. It's like, hey man, this is a hot shoe right now. We gotta find it. Yeah. People the consumers are telling you that. You're driving the market. How does that look like? So it's it's difficult. Years ago it was, you know, you had the top consignment stores when something would come out, they would set the market. Now with all these other ways between StockX and GOAT, the market is kind of already set before stuff releases. And with as many pairs that are getting backdoored. You know, you can see what the price is as a real time. It's a stock market, basically. How shoes are now, you could really follow a shoe being sold from 500 all the way down to 200 A lot of the newer stuff that comes out, really, the market where it is now, you really, if it's off-white, like off-white Jordans, off-white whatever with Nike, that those sell. That's a hot hitter. Nike Dunks are back in style, so anything Nike Dunk sells. Um, and then Travis Scott. Travis Scott is the biggest thing for Jordan brand right now and Nike in general. That He is... Brought in so many different people to this whole street war thing where it's it's impossible. His Travis Scott Jordan One Lows that came out a couple weeks ago. I mean they're going for like fourteen fifteen hundred retail was what one sixty one seventy five after tax wow. if you're paying tax. And then the Jordan One Highs are going for almost three thousand. So his stuff really puts it, everyone wants that. But what Nike does very very well is they put a lot of complimentary nice items that if you can't afford. The three thousand dollar pair of shoes, you can get something that looks just like it, you know. So, for example, a Jordan One Mocha. They released these, you know, last year, and the Jordan One Travis Scott that looks like it, just has a different kind of check that goes for over two thousand, brand new. And the Mochas you could find brand new for five hundred. And then they come out with a bunch of Jordan One Mids that kind of look like it for one hundred sixty bucks. And so it's it's supply and demand, but everyone wants the hype stuff, but not everyone's willing to pay the price, you know. So for what we have to do now is. As much as I want to have my store filled with all like the biggest hype piece products there are, it just doesn't make sense because the average person and people I know who have money are still not spending that on those kind of items. They'd rather the cheaper alternative because, you know, it just it looks the same. It's, it's pretty much the same thing. So the market's changing. It's not like years ago where you had to have the hype piece stuff. You had to have the premier stuff, but there's just too much stuff coming out now. So it's like the cheaper, the better. That's how I still look at it. So not knowing much about shoes, are you that guy that's... So obviously, this is your business. Yeah. You sell these badass kicks, yeah. 
But are you that guy that needs to wear that to rep your um, brand? Or? So when I first started, I really only wore a couple pairs. I had a pair of Roche runs and I just dog those things. Of course, if something nice came out, I was guilty in the beginning of, you know, I bought a shoe. I was like, oh, I like this. I would wear it. I was to try to sell it. Mm-hmm. I remember I had a pair of Air Griffies. <laughs> I was wearing it in class. It was like entomology class. And I was on my phone and I think I had it. I think I had it on Instagram. Some dude texted me. He was like, bro, you have that shoe? I was like, yeah, I still got on me. He goes, yo, can I see some pictures? And they're on my phone. I'm like, so I literally took them off in class, put them on my desk while the teacher's giving the lecture. I'm like trying to wipe it or angle it. I was like, this is, it looks good. I was like, yeah, it worn a couple times. And he's like, I'll take them. He sent me the money while I was in class. I literally had to run back to my dorm. I, I cleaned them up, packed them up, took them, had another class in like 20 minutes. I dropped them off of the post office between going to class. And I sent them a tracking from class to class. He goes, wow, that's great service. I was like, yeah, man, totally. I had them ready for you. Meanwhile, I'm running around with flip-flops after that. But I early on, before I opened the store, it was always just about a couple of pairs. I didn't really care because I was, you know, even when I after I graduated, when I moved back home, I was working out of my basement. So I didn't really have to go anywhere. Like, I didn't try to impress anyone. Now with the store, if something comes in at a good price, I'm a little guilty on, okay, I need this. You know, this shoe is worth 400 I got it for 100 I'm going to keep it. But now I'm trying to cut down. I don't need all the shoes. I really only wear Jordan 1s and Air Maxes. Um, I have a couple pair of Yeezys, but I've had those for four or five years where it just doesn't make sense to get rid of them. Yeah. But it's just, it's kind of boring now. For me personally, I don't care too much about having that, you know, the most expensive shoe. Now, if you look at, you know, two of the guys that I work with, they have collections that are five, 600. They have such a crazy amount of shoes and, you know, they're, they're sitting on stuff that only goes up in price too. You know, they don't wear their stuff. They wear it once and that's it. For me, I wear all my stuff religiously. You know, I don't care. I'd rather beat up my shoe just because I'm paying for it. I'm going to wear it, you know. So the whole idea is this culture. It's a collector's culture is what I'm hearing. Yeah. As much as I may think, I think of a shoe, it's what you're going to wear out. But so often they're just buying this. They're collecting. Yeah. So it's, I think that's kind of the bad thing with sneakers right now is that, especially these kids, they, they see what the adults are doing and they kind of, you know, they mimic it. Um, you have these kids who are now buying shoes and they wear it once and that's it. And then they put it in the closet kind of thing. When I buy a pair of shoes, I want to wear it. Especially right. if, it, if I'm going to spend five, $600, of course, I don't want to beat it up, but I still want to wear it. I'm going to take care of it. And I see some, I see some collectors that they just put in their closet and that's it. You know, and, and really, what are you collecting for? Are you collecting because you don't want to wear it because you want to hold the value and make money on it? So are you an investor or are you a collector, or are you going to wear it? Mm. And so they, there's no, you know, they don't know what they are. A lot of these, a lot of these people, I tell people all the time, it says, oh, you're training, you're going to wear it right away? He goes, no, I'm going to hold on to it for two years. I'm like, so you're investing in it. If you don't ever plan on wearing it, you're not a collector, you're an investor. Especially if you want to say, no, I'm not going to sell it. And then two years later, they bring it to me. Well, I, I thought you were going to, you know, <laughs> oh, well, I have a bill to pay. It's always, I hear it all the time. It's always a bill to pay, you know. Everyone's got the same bill to pay at the same time. Uh, but it's it's tough right now because... There's so much stuff, and a lot of people go, okay, I'd ra- I'll wait, for- I'll wear this one when it comes out, and then that one comes around. Oh no, 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 the next one, and the next one. You know, so it's it's tricky. I don't know anymore who's a collector, who's who's investing in, it. and because there's so much money in it now, mm-hmm. the money takes over. And so, anytime you get a shoe that you know you get for retail for one say one seventy five after tax, and you know you could sell it and make a quick hundred, as much as you love that shoe, you're not gonna wear it. I mean, me, even me too. I've I've gotten a couple pairs off the sneakers app where I'm like, wow, I really like this shoe, but it just doesn't make sense for me. To, you know, I'd rather wait for a worn pair. So I sell it and put that money and find a worn pair, then I could wear it. Yeah, it's so interesting because I I have this burning question, which is how much is the most expensive shoe you bought, and I want to know that. 
But at the same time, what I'm hearing is like the deal where you bought it for a hundred and then resold it for, let's say 700, that, that markup, not that you're even marking it up, but the, the, the market's dictating this to you. Yeah. So I guess it's twofold a question. What is the most expensive shoe you've ever sold? Ah, uh, most expensive shoe I ever sold. That's tough. I mean, we've sold shoes maybe like three, four thousand. Wow. But a shoe that we currently have that I bought maybe the second month. So I bought five years ago almost. It was a pair of um, 1985 brand new Jordan 1 breads. Size, I think seven or seven and a half. I bought that for like a thousand bucks. And, you know, I like, I like older stuff. I like that, that vintage. I like stuff, especially with Jordan 1s. I love Jordan 1s. I just love Chicago's breads. So I, I go crazy in the beginning. When I first open, I buy a lot of stuff just, to, just for display. I want the store to have that kind of retro look a little. Mm-hmm. So when this shoe came in, one of my buddies was like, I have it, a thousand bucks. I said, okay, it's brand new, had the original tag still on it, original box. Okay, perfect display shoe. Now, when I tell you, I get asked every single day, oh, how much is this? I tell people $20,000 because during COVID, when the last dance came out, every single Jordan went up in price, no matter what it was. Shoes that had no, no purpose to go up in price went up in price. Now, this shoe, you look on eBay, I don't know what the comps are or anything, but you came and find brand new pairs. And if you are, you're finding them for twenty five, thirty thousand dollars. Wow. So that is the most expensive shoe that I own. I if I sold it for ten thousand, I'd probably want to, you know, put a bullet in my head kind of thing because that's too low. It's one of those products where like you're not gonna find a brand new pair with a tag on it. You know, I've had people say, Oh yeah, I'll give you fifteen thousand. I tell them bring out the money and then we'll talk. But no no one really wants to buy it. It's one of those shoes like it, I look at if I ever do decide to, you know, get rid of the business. That's the last shoe I sell. And that's really just kind of like the, the tip of being in the business for so long. Because who knows what I'm going to sell it for. Uh, but there's been a bunch of other shoes in between. We've sold for $15,000, $2,500. But if I get into, the, you know, get into this, I'm not, a lot of these times with these expensive shoes, I'm not selling them. We're taking in trades. Yeah. And I think that's one of the biggest things that you know, we kind of exploit a little bit is we're willing to take anything for trades. So a lot of the other sneaker stores around the country – they focus on it's it's very cookie cutter. It's very just brand new. It's the same stuff. And I see so many stores opening up now. You know, it's the same kind of mommy and daddy's money kind of put it into it. And it's by the same products, the same layout, and it's very boring. It's and that's why sneakers kind of a turnoff for me now because everyone's doing the same thing. But for us, what we've always focused on is the used market. And so I don't care to take in a beater. I'll take in a beater and give 10, 20 credit on it. No other store in New York State is gonna take the stuff that we take. We don't mind taking Salkanies and ASICs for the low. Because we're going to give credit, they're going to take a shoe. So we're taking in shoes for trade, giving them a shoe that you know maybe we shouldn't have gotten. But what we do really well is we'll sell these like beaters and stuff as beater boxes now. And so we'll put you know beater box for hundred bucks, hundred fifty. Let's say we give eighty credit on that sell for a quick hundred. So you you know, you're essentially getting the same after fees, but I'm already I'm getting quicker sales. Mm. And so we have a lot of customers that every day are asking, "Do you have any beater boxes for sale?" And because they they'd rather buy these beater boxes for hundred bucks, hundred fifty clean those shoes up and do the same thing that I did early on and then make a few bucks. You know, so when we put a beater box online, we have an app too that will just kind of be, okay, beater box online sells within 10 seconds. Wow. And it's just about volume at this point. So I'm curious on having the physical store versus it sounds like online is obviously a huge part of your game as well. What is the purpose of the brick and mortar? Cause people need a place to go see the shoe. Yeah. So it's, they, they want to see it, right? Also, I wanted to open in Westchester County, right? I wanted to open in Marinick. 
which is basically five, 10 minutes from White Plains, right? And where Mamaronek is, it's called the Friendly Village. All the highways from the Bronx, Yonkers, New Rochelle, Harris, everyone's around Mamaronek. There's no, at the time, there was no store like me in Westchester. Mm-hmm. There's been sneaker stores in the past, but they've never done it the right way. So I knew when I opened, it was game over. I was very confident in knowing that when I did open, it was going to be a hit and I knew I was going to get everyone. I still get people who have no idea we're there. So I know there's always more people getting into it. But with the store, it's just easier to get product, right? If you're online, you know, a lot of these, you know, sellers that just do through Instagram or they sell, you know, through their own clients and stuff, they go to uh, sneaker shows just to be able to get product, right? They buy these shows now and then they sell you know, through their own sources and whatnot. For us, we don't have to go to sneaker shows no more. We buy strictly through the store because we're an outlet. I like to think of us as a bank. We're willing to give people cash. You know, people need to sell shoes. I mean, everyone's always going through their own different problems, right? I don't like to know too much. I don't mm-hmm. I ask no questions. And whatever the reason why you want to sell your stuff, it's not my business. But I'm there to give you the money if you want to sell. And we tell people all the time, I don't need your shoes. And that's one of the big things is people are never going to be happy with how much you're giving them for the most part because everyone always thinks their stuff's more because they have that attachment to it. You know, so for us, we tell people all the time, listen, unfortunately, this shoe's not a good seller for us. I can only offer you this. Well, it's going for this online. Go sell it online. Well, I don't want to wait. Bingo. There you go. You don't want to wait. You don't want to do the work. And I tell customers, don't be lazy. I says, you can make more money on your own. Oh, well, well, what? I says, you want me to take a risk? Well, it's going to go up in price. I says, okay, go invest it yourself. It's not, it's not up to me to hold on to a shoe. Well, you're a sneaker store. Okay, well, you're here to cash. You need the money, right? You have a bill to pay? Yeah, okay. This is it's either Take it or leave it. Go sell yourself. So we're that outlet to get stuff, and it's a lot. It's, we get stuff for a very good price. You know, any sneaker store is going to get stuff for the price they want to get it. Sure, do you lowball? You have to in this business. You know, and I think, you know, it's, it's such a bad thing when people say, oh, I hate stores that lowball. But with the store, you have a lot more expensive between employees, rent, electricity, con ed. It get, it's hot. I think our con ed bill for August is probably the highest it's ever been. And just because the AC needs to be on. Like you have to, you know, no one wants to go into a hot store. So these people that come in and want to complain about the price that they're getting for the shoe, we, we, we help them out. You know, and we're telling them, go sell yourself first, then come back. But also we give more store credit. If I'm going to offer 100 cash. I don't mind giving 150 store credit on a certain shoe. No if they're knowing they're going to take a shoe. Okay, I'll give you $50 credit more. It's less of a risk for me. Okay, I'll take that. You know, if you're smart, you take the store credit and take it to a nicer shoe and then try to sell a shoe. You may make more money. I have customers who do that every single day and make a lot more money than they do just sell the single shoe to us. That's fascinating, brother. I, again, I'm looking in my closet. I'm thinking, just going, <laughs> I would have never thought of ever trying to yeah. you know, get shoes back. So let's get into the pokey steals. I mean, Again, Pokemon. I know very. I know my son has cards. Yeah. I've purchased them, but this is a big market, is what I'm yeah. starting to understand. So it's it's huge. It's so with COVID last year, the, you know, you probably know sports cards went like crazy. A lot of this collectibles went crazy because during COVID, everyone you know everyone needed something to do. So you had Gary Vee, who kind of was like the pioneer for getting everyone back into sports cards, and Pokemon just follows the same suit. And so with Pokemon. You had these YouTubers that were just breaking packs and people were watching and people were like, wow, I have my cards and bringing their cards out of their, their closet. And then, okay, I'm actually sitting on something. But if you look at it, Pokemon is the, the biggest multimedia franchise in the world. If within the last 20 years or 25 years, really, it's never lost money. Wow. It's just the amount of cards there are, the amount of people in it, and it just it's never going to go away. 
And so last year, a little over a year ago, when I was on YouTube after, during COVID following, you know, these YouTubers open packs, my business sense goes into a little bit. I'm like, wow, this guy is, this, is buying this vintage booster box from 1999, 36 packs. He's paying maybe 7000 He's selling each pack for 300 each. I don't know the numbers on that, but he's making a couple thousand on that. I'm like, what? And the guy's just literally opening packs. And, of course, he has a personality. He's a big following. He's able to get that. So, okay, this is interesting. And so then I started doing a little more research on YouTube, just how I started sneakers, just find the right videos and learn. And I found someone who was like, okay, these are the top five items that are going to, he thinks are going to go up in price. And, you know, number one was like vintage uh, jungle packs, which is a set from 1999. And he's like, right now you can probably snag for like 80, hundred bucks. I see them with, you know, by September being 150. And then, then he said the 25th anniversary, which is 2021. It hit me. I said, this guy's on something. So I just started looking at trends of packs and okay it, it kind of makes sense if i buy this now 25th anniversary starts 2021 in february that's when they would announce the next sets and everything i says okay this could be something smart so i put maybe like ten thousand dollars into it i just went crazy on ebay just buying left and right buying stuff for 80 bucks lowballing people people were accepting it i was just i was just doing it not so much as an investment but also because it made me feel young again it, it was exciting yeah. i've always loved pokemon the games even in college i would play them on my phone during class and whatnot so it was always interested to me, right? Especially the Pokemon Go phase five years ago. And then when I started learning more about that and how every five years, there tends to be something else. Mm. And then I looked at it too. It says 2020 last year was supposed to be Olympics in Japan. And that's where Pokemon originated. Now they got pushed that back to 2021. And I looked at that as a fusion with the 25th anniversary, Japan Olympics. I says, I said, it's a no brainer. Stuff is going to go through the roof. So I, I bought stuff and kept down to it as like art, you know, worst comes to worst, it's, you know, it's artwork. If it doesn't work, if I can't sell it. Um, and then I just casually started getting, you know, found, you know, the leads and everything. And then Logan Paul got into it. And when Logan Paul announced his box break, everyone, the whole market, the whole scene, I was in all the Facebook groups, everyone went crazy. And I says, okay, Logan Paul just put Pokemon on the biggest map it could be. And I bought stuff right before he did that box break and I sold it for a lot of money couple weeks after he did the box break. So I made money off him doing that. And I said, okay, let me try to, you know, utilize now direct kicks for Pokemon. So I promoted through direct kicks. Anyone has any vintage binders, bring them in. I'll give you cash or I'll give you shoes for it. And so doing that, people were like, okay, I'm going to bring my collections in. And I had people DM me. And one of the best deals I got, this kid sent me, I don't even know, 3,000, 4,000 cards. And I basically pieced each card together. And like I was telling your son, I went to a site that um, had a buy list and they was, they're willing, they would put the price they're willing to pay every single card. So I basically paid $1,200 for all these cards. Um, I sent in maybe 150 to get graded through PSA, which I'll hopefully get back within six months. I already tripled my money without those cards, with those cards still at PSA. So when these cards come back, it's all free money. I sell for whatever, you know? All right. So every parent listening right now, because you just talked about not being a lazy uh, salesperson yeah. is kind of what I heard. And then PSA, I'm like, okay, I don't even know what that acronym stands for. It's so, the grading company. Yeah. Okay. That's I kind of figured. But <laughs> so there is a place like if I'm, cause I'm sitting on, I don't know how many stacks my kids have both baseball, football, Pokemon cards. I don't even say it correctly. It doesn't sound like, but as a parent, I wouldn't even know where to start. So it there's there's a grading website where you send the cards in. They yeah. they tell you what your stuff's worth. They don't tell you what it's worth. So when like with any kind of card, right? You could go through PSA. 
Unfortunately, right now PSA is still backed up, and they don't take any like of the lowest subgrade, mm-hmm. like the, like the ten fifteen dollar thing. The, it has to be only expensive cards right now. Like two hundred dollars would be the one cost for one card to get graded. Wow! Just so it's a premier card, so because they're so backed up. But you know, I when I was doing that, I was breaking down each card. I says, okay, this card, you know, this store is going to offer forty bucks, but I think it has a potential to get a high grade. I think it has a potential to get an eight or a nine. And I could sell that for 100, 150 bucks down the line. And this is before, you know, anything with Pokey Seals were, you know, I didn't know I was going to do it. It didn't even cross my mind yet. So I was doing this just as an investment to be able to sell during the 25th anniversary, you know, to get and just be able to make a few extra, you know, a few extra thousand off it. And so it didn't really cross my mind, but you know, I was making money by doing that. And I would just always offer to people, bring your shoes into direct, I mean, your cars into direct kicks, I'll give you shoes. I mean, maybe like two months ago, I had a kid bring in a collection and I opened, he had it in a shoebox. I opened it and it had a 2003 Skyridge Charizard, which is top five most rarest Charizards in the world, mm. sitting on top. I almost fell on my seat. I says, oh my God. I says, okay, how much you want? I gave him, I think like $1,300 worth of shoes. I graded this card and I sold it for 4000 like three weeks later. So I spent the $200 or $300, whatever I paid to get it graded because it was a premier card. It got an eight. Had it gotten a nine PSA, it could have been worth seven, eight thousand. And so I, I ended up getting a trade on it for more product that I sold through, you know, pokey steals. But it's just like that one card. All it takes sometimes, you know, sure. I told this kid, I said, listen, this is a good charge. I didn't know it was going to get that high of a grade. I took the risk on it. Hmm. He had other nice cards too. I was like, okay, I'm going to send a grade. He got shoes that he was happy with. I got the cards that I needed. I made money on the other cards too. So it was a win-win for both of us. And so I just tell people, bring your cards in. I'll take the risk on it. I don't care. I could put up the money. I could put up the time. That's really what it is with Pokemon, especially when you're grading cards. Well, and again, the way you even said it, how much do you want for it? You're yeah. given the option. Yeah. You could say. And a lot of times they don't know. They don't know what their stuff's worth because like you said, the laziness in these sellers nowadays, whether it's Pokemon cards or whatever, people don't want to do the work. And it's not in Pokemon. I, I love it because there's not many marketplaces. Everyone goes off eBay comps. eBay sold. That is the beauty of Pokemon. It's not like you have to look at a million different places to find a price and average it out. eBay is really the biggest marketplace for Pokemon. Mm. You know, and so it, it's public knowledge. Anyone could look. Anyone could take the name, put the 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 number of the set, and, and they find out the information. But why aren't people doing that? The laziness, and that's what I think was the difference between a lot of people is they don't want to do the work and. I'd rather them not do the work because I'll do it, you know? Well, 100%. I think of my parents when I left, and I wasn't a collector, but I don't know. I probably had a couple thousand sets of baseball cards. I wouldn't spend the time. My parents wouldn't yeah. know what to do with yeah. it, and I just left it in a closet. Yeah. That's probably a great market for you guys and for them. It's a win-win. So with sports cards, it's I don't know the, the sports card market too well. But as an example. As an example, right? Yeah. My dad's the same thing. He says we have all these cards. You never know. You If you take the time, you could take one card and you're like, wow, needle and haste, that kind of thing. One card could be worth who knows as much. And I tell people, I told my dad, just go through it. You have one card, it pays for a lot. If there's nothing in there, listen, take a shot at tequila or something, call it a day, like whatever. You tried, you know, but I tell people Pokemon all the time, one card, all it takes. This kid had one Charizard. He had another Charizard that happened to be bent over. And if that wasn't bent over, I could have made it a couple of thousand. I was a little upset, but I says, you know what? I can't take it for granted, you know? But just to get it, like, into, you know, the whole, I think when we talk about Pokey Steals, basically, I, I was selling stuff up until, basically, like, January, February. I was casually making a few hundred dollars, 
few thousand dollars doing it. It was fun. It was, you know, kind of cool to kind of live like a kid again. Um, and then I just kind of, what Pokey said, I don't know. I just, one night I was like, I want to brand myself as something. I was doing TikTok videos and I was building up a following, just, you know, casually making, you know, Pokemon videos to there. And I was like, okay, I can call myself Pokey Lou. And I wanted to be a YouTuber and do what, the, you know, these other guys are doing with box breaks. That was one of my big goals. And it just hit me one night. It was like Pokey Steals. And I've done like a subscription service for shoes before. And, and there's there's a site that does shoes very well. It's they're the top dogs. And they make a stupid amount of money doing like that. And they're called Soul Steals. And I said, Soul Steals, Soul Steals. I said, Pokey Steals. I said, no way. That 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 domain's available. That Instagram. I said, there's no, there's no, not a chance. And I went to GoDaddy. It was like 11 o'clock at night. I typed in pokeysteals.com. It says it was like $12 a month, $12 a year. I, said, I took my credit card. I bought every domain around that. I went to Instagram. No one owns pokeysteals. For whatever reason, it doesn't exist. But I said, the pokeysteals Instagram, that's it. And I was like, this is this is my golden ticket. I hit up one of my buddies. I said, listen, I need I need someone to do this with me. I says, if you can handle this part, I can handle the back end stuff. I says, we could do, you're going to make a lot of money. And, you know, we've taken off and it, it was, it took off too fast. And, you know, especially during the time months ago, it was, you know, Target was selling out quick. Everyone, Pokemon, people were cutting, coming for each other's throats and whatnot, trying to fight each other over Pokemon. The groups are crazy. The market was so hot. I says, okay, we're going to be the reason why people get stuff. We're going to price stuff under our, of course, our membership is going to help cover those costs. I says, but we're, it's not just about building a business, building a community because these Pokemon people are loyal. And I love all my members. I have great members. I have members who reach out to me just to have a regular conversation. And so if we could build a family, so I built a Discord where I'm now connecting my members together where they can become friends. And that's the biggest thing is that we built a family. It's also a business. And I'm able to get as much product for these people as, you know, as I can. And that's what it comes down to because everyone loves to buy Pokemon and Everyone just wants more product, more access to product. And it's just about not even getting the new stuff. I curate so much older stuff that some of these people are like, wow, I didn't even know this came out. How much? I'll take it. You know? Well, it's to me, I'm thinking you just have this entrepreneurial mind. Were you always that way as a kid? Yeah. I think uh, from lemonade stands to hustling to school, selling single pieces of gum for 25 cents. I mean, I've always, I've always known this was my path a little bit, right? I've always known. I never wanted to work for anyone. I've really, you know, I grew up in the pizza business. I've worked with my dad as a waiter as he was a banquet manager. So I've, I was always kind of around customers. I know how to, you know, maneuver my way in, in that kind of customer service and whatnot. But I always wanted to be my own boss. I always wanted to have business be my life. And, you know, when I first started Direct Kicks, that was my first thing. And now with Pokey Steals, and I've tried other businesses in between. I've tried, I've failed a tons of times. And I don't want people to think that's easy because it's not easy. Well, no, that's what that's literally where I want to ask yeah. is talk to people about some of the ways they can avoid maybe the pitfalls of failing or maybe that's just part of being an entrepreneur. Maybe you just have to, you know, sometimes it hits, sometimes it yeah. misses. But what are some of the keys to you succeeding? Because you're a young guy. You have one store working on a second one yeah. and a, a third business is what I'm hearing. There's some clues to why you've been successful. So I think the biggest thing is you have to fail. I think you have to kind of go through the pitfall to kind of understand it's you have to kind of be told that you're doing something wrong and to kind of realize, OK, now I got to change my ways. I got to do it this way. It's I always look at like entrepreneurship. It's not it can't be taught. 
first of all. Like everyone wants to be an entrepreneur and I'm very vocal with Oklahoma State. I'm very passionate about, you know, the kids under me, you know, getting taught and everything. And I've told the school, I've told the school things I, you know, certain people that sure enough, I was very vocal with them. And I said, you're teaching these kids one way, but you can't teach them. You have to let them do it. You know, you know, you have to let people experience what business is like to be able to see if they're an entrepreneur. You know, we teach all these entrepreneurship classes nowadays, but what are we teaching them? Are we teaching them? How are you, how are you going to you know, whether, know whether they pass or fail to give them a test? I was the worst test taker. You know, my senior year, I cut class like every other day. I told my teacher, I transferred into entrepreneurship teachers, certain teachers and told them, I said, listen, I'm not going to be in your class. I said, I'm going to be in my office. Well, I said, well, nothing. I said, I'm making money already. I'm already doing what you're teaching. I just need the credit to graduate so I get the hell out of here. And they're like, well, I had a teacher come up to me and tell me, oh, listen, you're supposed to get a D, but I gave you a C. I said, I don't care. I passed. He says, yes. Yeah. I said, thank you. It's all it comes down to. There's no way of teaching. And so with entrepreneurship, you have to just get out there. You have to get your hands dirty. If you have an idea, you just have to kind of do it. And I was listening to the news, whatever we had at the house the other day. The guy was explaining how to do business. You can't explain. The guy's saying, oh, build a business plan. You know, you don't have to do crazy. Just build a business plan. Oh, you don't know your accounting? Ask an accountant. Oh, you this, oh, do this way, this way. There's not, there's no rule book. You just have to go out there. You have to get your hands dirty and take a shot. Because if you take a risk in life, it's it could pay off. If it doesn't pay off, you can't let that discourage you because you have to just try again and keep going again. You know, it, it's what eight years in between two successful businesses, and I don't like to say success because we're always growing. I've had my growing pains. There's been times, you know, even with direct kicks, where I looked at it and says, "Is this right? Did I make a bad mistake coming home? I had life perfect in Oklahoma." I says, I could have been doing so much better, but I also, okay, it's an opportunity to grow. Okay, that I'm just overthinking it now and just take off. Let's just, you know, I am the prize and keep going forward. Yeah, I'm curious to get your take because, again, you are a young guy that just went to college. And you know the movement right now. A lot of entrepreneurs out there saying, don't go to college. But obviously, you did both. So you kind of have a thought on... Um, it, I, 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 like, I get that asked a lot. So I like, if I was starting, if I started selling shoes... Sophomore year or even freshman year, there's no way I could continue. If I knew, if I knew I was going to be big on it, but you never know. Looking at it, I probably would have stuck with college because the school was so good for my resources. You know, when I had my office date, one of the most important days of my life was when I got to speak in front of Malone Mitchell, who's one of the biggest boosters. I'm not sure if you're familiar with Boone Pickens. He was the, Boone Pickens was the biggest booster to Oklahoma State. Malone Mitchell is right there, number two, okay. big oil guy, and. I remember the school coming to me. This is a week before I got my my office in the incubator. And this is the guy who put the money up for the incubator. It's his homecoming weekend. And they, he basically, the school came and was like, this is the most important speech of your life. Memorize a speech. And you tell me to memorize. I like to speak. I like public speaking. I can't memorize anything. You know, I don't like that. I don't like being told how to say things. Mm. And so going into this meeting, I memorize a whole thing. They want me to put like a suit and stuff. I wear a polo and like a pair of khakis. Going into it, there's like 25 like alumni. I have no idea who this guy is, nowhere who he's sitting where, and I forgot everything I said. And I was just like, you know what? Back in my head, I says I can't memorize this. I can't say what I memorized. I just went in there with the most New York attitude. I said, "How you doing?" And I just had the whole room in laughter. And everyone was was having a good time. I had shoes passed around. And after that, you know, I got the, the affirmation that okay. I got the approval of the, all these like country oil guys and cowboy boots and cowboy hats selling Jordans. And this is years ago where I was like, what, what is this? They thought it was like an alien or something. 
And then a week later, I got my office. And I like to think that is one of the reasons why. Also, I knew that they had to give it to me. But it's just it's one of those reasons, okay, this is something big. If I got the approval of a different kind of clientele, okay, I'm doing something right. And now I have to keep trucking forward, you know? No, I love it. I mean, look, it's a brave new world. We're all evolving and changing. I think parents are trying to figure this yeah. out. Like, should they go to school? Should they not? And you did both. Yeah. That's what I think it's is It's not for everyone. You know, the whole college scene, you could succeed without college now. I think if you look at a lot of these influencers and all that, you know, you have so many people that are able to make such good money not going to college. I just don't think, I think certain colleges you can go to and succeed more. Like if you want to be a doctor, whatever, you have to do all that stuff. But if you want to be an entrepreneur, you can't just can't go to any kind of school. I think you have to go to a school that has the resources around you and you have to be committed to that. Because if you could be committed through those resources, you could branch out. You have to be a people person to be any kind of entrepreneur, I think. I think if someone's maybe a little not, you know, doesn't like to talk to people, but has a great idea, they're not really an entrepreneur. They're more of an inventor, mm-hmm. you know, and, and I get I see it all the time. Inventors can be entrepreneurs, but they could also just be an inventor and you have the right team around. It could blow it up. You know, I think for me, I was kind of blessed, you know, to be in the right place, right time, but also go to the right school, be from New York and be out there already. You know, I, I was maybe a little too comfortable in my first two years, um, but going into my junior year, I made sure to kind of, you know, broaden my horizon a little bit. I wanted to, to talk to different people and get to know ideas and all that. And also I met great people that I still talk to every single day that helped me, you know, push my mind and think about my mind in different ways. Well, guys, I hope you heard that. I mean, I don't care how old you are. That is brilliant advice. Uh, Louis, how can they connect with you, man? Whether it's to talk about direct kicks, pokey steals, uh, you know, just entrepreneur in general. Where, where can they find you, brother? So for direct kicks, our main website is uh, www.directkicks.com. Um, our Instagram is just simply direct kicks on Instagram. Um, and then for pokey steals, it's the pokey steals on Instagram and then pokeysteals.com. And then my personal Instagram is just dklu with two use. And then YouTube.com slash PokeSteals if you want to watch me open packs and do live streams and whatnot. Uh, I know there's a bunch of kids. My, yeah. my son would love to do it. I, you know, again, I don't necessarily understand it. but Sorry, we'll get you. Clearly... I should have brought some packs. We could open them, you know? <laughs> I wouldn't have understood any of it. But, uh, man, I appreciate what nah, you're doing, man. Thank and... you for having me. Listen, it's, it's always nice to talk to someone who kind of doesn't know as much sneakers, but hopefully you know more, but also knows the business enough where it gets me thinking and, I'm excited to kind of see, you know, I was listening to some of the things that you put out in the past one. So it's always nice to move my mind in different ways that I don't know stuff because it helps me grow. And hopefully, you know, we do this again, maybe in another year and little, you know, see where we are. Yeah, yeah man. You'll probably have another business we can uh, talk about. Awesome. Maybe, but, maybe I'm retired or next door neighbors or stuff. That'd be best case scenario. Yeah, it works with me. I mean, look. <laughs> I appreciate it, man. No problem. You, you bring some amazing stuff. You guys, I hope you enjoyed that. I mean, again, I didn't know anything about what he does, and I learned a lot, and it helps me relate with my kids, plus just the entrepreneurial mind, kind of hearing what he did in order to succeed. So hope you guys enjoyed it. Until next time, continue to transcend in life. We'll talk to you then. Thank you so much for listening. If this content is delivering value to you, please make sure to subscribe, rate, and review us. That helps us build this community, and that is what we are all about. Building this community as big as we can, helping as many people as we can, and deliver as much value as possible. Be sure to head over to letsgowinpodcast.com for information on my coaching courses, and make sure to follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and LinkedIn at Let's Go Win 365. Let's go win and transcend in life. 
This is the Let's Go Win Podcast with your host, J.M. Ryerson. 